You're listening to Exit Strategy, a podcast that inspires open discussions about financial news and technology today. My name, Marcus McGarrion, a recovering SaaS vendor, joined by my co-host, Ralph DeFiore, Swadik Mazundar, and we're sitting down with startup founders, technology experts. Let's begin. Hey. <laughs> All right. Ralph, it's, it's official. We're doing it. The Exit Strategy podcast is here with live. I don't even know what to say anymore. I'm so excited that we're finally doing this. It's been a couple months. August was the month of vacation here in France. Europe down back in the United States and alligator territory in Florida, right? Yep. So yep. what's I the latest? Here and ready to go. What's, what's happening back home? You know, we, we had the whole month of, uh, off in August. You're, uh, you're worried about inflation, all these things that are happening in the market. We got 30 brokers at, uh, at our, our, our chats with securities. Everyone's doing something different with different worries. But we're all succumbed to the same powers of, of life, which includes things like inflation. What are your thoughts? Well, uh, here's my thoughts about the Fed, okay? As it was, uh, uh, I, I can't believe that the Fed is going to go into uh, a midterm election one that looks like it's going to have, uh, you know, significant consequences, and therefore maybe it's more of an important midterm election than other midterm elections. And I can't believe that the Fed's going to dump the economy uh, uh, right before or you know during that election. Now maybe that'll have the, the the dumping of the economy might happen uh, after the election, but uh, it's a uh, precarious tightrope for the Fed to uh, be raising rates into uh, what's going to be a very consequential uh, uh, election. So I'm betting that uh, they, um, by, by November, they start uh, loosening or that they're going to hold it steady maybe from here on out, uh, despite what they're saying. I, I, can't, I can't figure out that they're saying they're going to raise rates. And meanwhile, uh, that election's coming down the road. Certainly, the Democrats and Joe Biden don't want that. They don't want to crush the economy right before the uh, election. Uh, that will hurt them uh, tremendously. Um, inflation, uh, I see a lot of articles uh, saying that uh, things are settling down, gasoline prices are coming down, commodities in general uh, are coming down. But, uh, you know, who, who knows? Uh, it takes a little bit of time to see if it's really a trend or just a, a blip in the uh, series. But, so that, that's where I'm at on inflation. I mean, rates here in Europe is crazy. I mean, we're, we're trying to buy a house here. And the, Belgian, uh, the European Central Bank, let's say it's 4% rates. And in France, they still have around 2.5%. So anything above 2.5% in France is considered usurious. Being usurious means that the French can't provide us with a mortgage. And there's no way around it. So more than 50% of all the mortgages are being curbed. If, if it's inflation, if it's whatever it is, you're having the fact that 
most people can't do any transactions with this business. So banks are stuck in the fact that they can't provide any mortgages to people, including us here, uh, people that work with you. And it's terrible. And then you're stuck. My with God, that's, that's unbelievable. No liquidity <laughs> in the market. No liquidity oh, wow. in the market. What Extremely about private lenders? Can they do it or no? They don't exist. Like, that's the thing. In the United States, I would just say, okay, let's go to hard money lender. Let's pay a couple more points. Let's get it done. It doesn't work that way here. And you have to 100% go to a local bank, talk to them. This I've not been able to see anyone who's going to do hard money lending or any kind of high interest rate thing because of this usury law that happens here. So the solution is they got to crash the economy so rates come down and then you could buy your house and help uh, the economy uh, uh, revive, right? I don't know, but all I'm learning <laughs> is that the United States is still the greatest economy in the world because you want to buy that house, you can always find some Joe who's going to give you the debt for it. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know what? So, somebody, uh, uh, I heard someone say once, the best time to buy a house is when interest rates are high because of course the price will go down on the house and you'll buy it for less and then when rates come down you just refinance it we work with like 30 people everyone does something different and i think the most fascinating people are the people that started startups at uh at our, at our investment bank and like um things like esports or things like uh you know ad tech or martech you know, those are the things that are like really hot these days in the market. Like it's a, it's a, it's a crazy thing that like we were talking about interest rates going up and like, you know, it becomes less attractive for people to invest in those sectors because, you know, why would you invest a risk if you could get like free money? If the government, if you get back to like 1990, remember 10 year rates were over 10%. Remember that? Those yeah. are good old days. You could literally, I mean, I'm trying to buy my son uh, those I bonds that are paying around mm-hmm. eight and a half. We're nine mm-hmm. and a half, and mm-hmm. I have until the I have until October. So because of the way we get paid in in our group, uh, I could pay him a salary, technically, because like I, <laughs> I could probably whatever it is. I will. I mean, it's it's hundred for legal. doing due diligence work. No, I mean, we do, I mean, I we 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 created we created an article which has his photo on it. I pay him for the image rights, but that would allow me to get him uh, money for education in the future getting him uh you know an ira an ira but ira it's twelve thousand five hundred before he has to start paying taxes then you could give him up to eighteen thousand uh giving him the money to go to his ira it's all it's all on the irs website i've seen tremendous amount of documentation on this it's it's crazy how people could literally it it depends if you're w2 forget about it forget about it that's why, that's why, like, every time we, we go after a customer, I'm always going after the CEO because going after the vice president, he has no decision-making power. So the CEO, you tell him, hey, there's all these things you do. There was that client in the Netherlands that we, we, we increased his revenue because we started selling his data. And there's so many things that people don't do today in the market and new ways to make money. Like, we can make money on this podcast just by selling or saying, hey, uh, invest in so-and-so or... Uh, not invest, we can't do that without FINRA regulation, right? Or we uh, say, use this product, that product. Marcus, uh, 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 he's going to retire by the time he's nine and a half. He'll have That's his great. own IRA. 
Well, it'd be like Romney. Romney had like well, uh, five hundred million in his IRA. <laughs> the I the I, I could only buy it to ten thousand in that I bond thing. Right. So what? Let's let's use the dumb rule seventy two. You know the right? great so, thing about that is the the interest isn't taxable until you cash in the I bond, as I recollect. Right. Yeah, but they don't they pay you out the dividends in cash. I don't know. I don't know. Because I can't be great if it I read the articles re about it. Repurchase. I'm not it. buying that. I'm not buying it. So I, I, I didn't pay too much attention to it, but I uh, alerted others. No, but, but it's uh, bad if you have rates going up, right? Because the value of the bond, the face value of the bond, will go down, and that's not a good thing. So, Marcus, look, let's talk a little bit of business now. What do you see in the payment sector? uh that's coming up that's exciting for people looking at this video uh who are consumers and want to uh, you know are, are interested in how we're going to pay for uh restaurants in the future or whatever what do you see coming down the pike well, you gotta so, you gotta move your bottle looks like you have a bottle no, I do. It's my, it's my, it's my sparkling water. I'm trying to have here. You know, like I want to keep hydrated, so I don't, I don't sound raspy. You know, the, the fact is, is that like payment space is a complicated space. There's so many ways to pay. There's, a, you have the U.S. dollar. You can pay European cross border. You have B two B, B two C. You have crypto. You have uh, buy now, pay later schemes and all these things. I mean, like it's, it's a, it's a growing space. But I think that no matter what happens. Um, you know, it's, it's, um, take, I think the first rule is that if you're an American citizen, you live in the United States, you, you're paying for like, you buy a hot dog for a dollar. I don't know where you could buy a hot dog for a dollar anymore, but let's say you're still paying a dollar for that hot dog on Fifth Avenue. The, you had to pay taxes to get that dollar in order to pay for that hot dog. But today you have multiple ways of paying things. You could literally buy the hot dog and say, Hey, I'm going to use this app pay you later and then you could have the thing where you have um you know i'm going to use a crypto coin so there was like so, a story uh, where like an, this an guy, installment an installment pay plan for a hot yeah, dog layaway <laughs> oh, in the old in the old days you called it layaway now now you have the uh, and it's like there was a guy who bought a, a pizza pie like 10 15 years ago for two or three bitcoin that means today he paid about $150,000 for that Bitcoin. Actually, no, I'm sorry. The Bitcoin now the is pizza. 25000 He paid $50,000 for that pizza. Right. Because the Bitcoin shot up. Right. I mean, it went to 60, then down to 20. Yeah, but it's know. the same way. It's the same way in, uh, in currency. It's the same exact thing. A uh, dollar spent uh, 50 years ago uh, was worth more, you know. Uh, I guess with currency, it's the opposite. It went down, you know. Yeah. Um, but uh, but people don't see. I remember. I remember. Stock. I remember reading something that said a uh, dollar in twenty. No, I'm sorry. Nineteen thirteen was worth only three cents five years ago. Yeah. Uh, so uh, got, the. the Let's not break out the conspiracy theorist uh, Federal Reserve Act 1913 kind of nutcase stuff. <laughs> right. Everything is complicated. I mean, if you yeah. want to go historical, like the, the since the Civil War, 
you had displaced the United States about 40% from 19, from 1864 all the way to 1913 when the Federal Reserve Act started, you had about 40% of deflation, meaning that if you were paid a dollar, your dollar would be worth a dollar 40, 40 years later. Mm. So, but the difference is if you have an inflationary economy, Just think if you had a mortgage, it'd be worth uh, whatever seven, you had seven, left over to pay. 70, 40% yeah, more. 70% of businesses back then did not take debt because of the fact that you didn't have to, it, there was no inflation really. So like the uh, being a real estate investor wasn't attractive. Being anything that was inflation linked was not attractive. Like we, when I was doing real estate deals, you had uh, inflation coming in as a part of the rent increment, right? So you had either, you had 3% rent, rent escalation. In Long Island, you'd have 5% rent escalation. But one random contract I got once was this um, Iranian, the landlord was an Iranian gentleman and it was a Korean place. And the lawyer pumped out a contract where it was linked to CPI plus two. And I'm just like, well, CPI, is great but the problem with cpi is that it's very specific like what are you trying like the problem with any of these inflationary indicators is that like you'll have something like where we we do, we we're, we're inflation minus food and gas or food and energy or you'll have something like the inflation is linked to this portion of the united states the problem i have with like if, if you have the flat at rent escalation it's fine it grows with inflation average inflation is this it doesn't work too well today because like you have about 8.5 percent inflation but it's regardless of what it is the, you, you, the principles of how you do the real estate business today wouldn't work in uh, in 1870 versus today mm. because it was a completely different economy and the complete different rationale of how you do the business. You know, most yeah, businesses well. were auto financing themselves because of the fact that the value of their assets and things their dollar, their all that, they, they was, it was only appreciating value. So you didn't need to have a bank. You need a bank in order to have something when you have inflationary thing, you have the, the, uh, the, the benefits of uh, tax write-offs, deductions on the interest and, and debt, et cetera, You know et what's interesting? Remember after the 2008 crash and the years following? Yeah. Uh, all people talked about was... Uh, how there was no inflation, right? Because yeah. things were, prices were flat to a little weak. I'm sure there was some inflation in some areas, but uh, I, if memory serves me, uh, everybody back then was concerned about the fact that uh, inflation wasn't around, that we weren't experiencing inflation and they uh, they thought that uh, we were going to go into a deflationary period which means would mean that people would stop spending and buying stuff because the theory yeah. is you buy stuff today because it's going to be more pricey next week yeah type thing. so which, which, but, uh, which everybody the- forgets that now when we're talking about inflation now uh, in 2008 everybody was worried about deflation. You know, yeah. so so here we are. We we careful what you wish for, you know, 
<laughs> the the people the people in the payment space or the collect commissions are always happy with inflation because the more if you're charging two percent for your credit card processing, you know the more you charge, the more they make. So they're always very happy around here. But mm-hmm. like um, you know, from from a lot of the work that we're doing, uh, the work we do uh, outside of the podcast, it's always that um, you know what we find fascinating is that. Now that we've established an office in Europe, right? We, we're in Paris, we're in New York, we're in Florida, we're in multiple locations. It's how we're realizing that most in the United States, it's very, it's very closed market because every time we talk to people in the United States about, hey, have you considered anything in Europe? Have you considered anything in Spain, France? They're like, we don't see anything. Mm. Isn't that insane? Like we, we literally have always been, I guess, a US market. Like you, you've done over 600 IPOs you've you've been in the market for 40 years it's incredible to say that like in a in a world where you have internet uh websites and people could share information easily most of the people we're talking to they're not seeing that stuff and if it's in if we're talking if we keep it as an inflation discussion we don't have the same worries in europe because the inflation the baguette's still one euro one euro 20. in the united states I was going across the street from my house in New York City. The baguette was almost five dollars at four seventy-five. You know, but if I use the same credit card terminal to buy the product, the guy would still the store would still pay two percent regardless of where the transaction happened. So, Marcus, the uh, here's uh, what you're making me realize that we should. Uh, be buying baguettes in France and shipping them over. We call that arbitrage. Right? <laughs> it's all about that arbitrage. Uh, who right? else in New York could say real French baguettes, you know, which yeah. charge $6 to cover the you know, uh, air travel. I've, fl- I've flown baguettes back to New York. It always gets stale. So it, it sounds great, but I did, I did see a vending machine that distributed baguettes here last week. So like the baguette, the baguette market here is hot. <laughs> it's not going anywhere kind of like in new york i don't know we're, we're all about wonder bread and uh you know whole wheat <laughs> <laughs> right multi-grain yeah <laughs> the, the the amount of grains keeps going up i can't wait till they get like 50 grains in there yeah uh, you know won't be each any flour is, each grain makes a bag of better. grain yeah. <laughs> how, how many how much grain do you need in order to become like uh right. you know Immortal. <laughs> you don't toast it. You don't toast it in your toaster. You toast it in a in a pan. You just put yeah. some. In. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> no, but the but the... Uh, Mar- Marcus, tell everybody about that technology where you walk into a restaurant, you never pull your card out, and the bill is automatically uh, debited from your account. How do, how does that work? Tell everybody wow. about that. You yeah, don't, don't mention the name of the company. No, no. There's, uh, I mean, there's multiple ways. I mean, there's always the contactless payment, but I think you're discussing like the QR code payment, where like you scan your phone with the QR code, and then you start you process the order on your phone, which also connects to the payments terminal. The fact is, is that like you know, it makes it easier because it's also easier to split the bill that way. If you have five people that are on one table, they all scan the QR code, they go in, and then they they select what they want from the menu. Then they pay for the product. The product arrives at the table. And whenever they want to leave, it automatically charges them. In Europe, it's amazing because 
I've literally walked out on tables where like I've waited for more than an hour to get my bill. And the reason I do that is because like my time is worth more than the amount of time I'm waiting just for the person to bring the check. But that technology is, it's simple. It's, you, you have a QR code that goes, uh, connects to the, the POS system, which is the credit card or the, the, the cash register for the store. And it basically has the menu in there. The menu being digitized, you select the menu option and all those things get charged onto your phone or into your uh, invoice. And the invoice mm -hmm. eventually is charged to your credit card. And depending on the technology, you go in, you purchase the thing, you have the credit card process, and then you know, you've had your your things and you're out. It's an amazing right. technology. So it's a, it's not a case of uh, you walk in and you don't touch uh, any object on your body like a, a phone or a credit card. You do have to use your phone. Yeah, I mean the best the best I think is that Amazon Go store, the Amazon. You literally walk in with your phone. You scan your phone with the same QR code technology. You pass the turnstile. You pick up anything you want from the store. And once you leave, those items automatically get charged onto your phone. Most technology, you have to scan the code and you have to select the items that you want that's brought to you. Amazon's the only one that actually figure out a way where like, you actually scan your phone, whatever you pick out. And that's probably done with like RFID technology where like, You'll, the RFID chip or indicator within every product knows what is actually leaving the store. And that's only done with like some kind of frequency, kind of like your cell phone, except that it's done at a lower frequency that's happening in the market. So you walk out of the store, the frequency captures the product, automatically charges your phone. And I think what's happening since COVID is the fact that like all the payment technology, whatever it is, as much inflation as you want to put into this uh, uh, bag of cashews, you know, you walk in, it's $2. You walk out, it's 10 because there was so much inflation on the way out. The, um, the <laughs> You mean which, while you've been in the restaurant? Which used to happen in the 80s, like in places like Brazil, you, you they wouldn't have prices on the items. They would just have a code because by the time you entered the store, the time you left, the inflation hit the product. The, yeah. um, but the, the, like the, the wire famous, bar uh, republic. Yeah, no. that's one example. You know, when I was a, when I was a kid, that was a case when I was like going to the supermarket. It was a very crazy in Brazil. Thing. You have to in, say Brazil. in Brazil. I, yeah. I would go. I would go because my parents had a business that was very connected to Latin America. Fifty um, percent Latin America, fifty percent Europe, and um, you know it was a crazy experience. You go to the supermarket. You would, there's no payment terminal, nothing. It was all cash or whatever you give them. And because um, if you wanted to use a credit card, credit card is 500% APR, 1000% APR. So as soon as you use a credit card, you have to pay it off the same day, basically. But the- um, you Are, know, are like, you serious? You have to pay it the same day? No, you, no I'm just saying you, you better pay it the same day because by the third month, you probably have to default. Right, because if you have a- <laughs> No, but I mean, uh, can't, isn't it like the US where you get a, a month's worth of grace? And then you pay it at the end of the month. It's not like that. Oh, I, I don't know the rules, but I know that like in the supermarket, they, I, I mean, I know that like when, when after okay, before joining your team, I had worked, we opened a Brazilian bank in New York and London. And, you know, the corporate banking rates were like 40%, some kind of crazy numbers that you never mm -hmm. see in the United States. 
you know, inflation, we keep talking about inflation, inflation was also 20%, 30%, et cetera, et cetera. And I remember in the 80s, it was like, you know, 500% inflation, 400% inflation. So like we would literally go into the store and by the time you get there to pay, you would just have, the price would change. So it, it would be wiser that you go into the store, know exactly what rush out of the place. Because at morning, lunch, and dinner, if I didn't, they would change, they would give the, the cashier a new pricing sheet because the price oh, changed throughout the day. Wow. It was crazy. It's crazy. You know, so imagine like if you had like a payments terminal today, like, you know, nowadays you go to a stop and shop in Connecticut, you go and scan your food and you could basically pay without going to the cash register because you already scanned all of your product in this thing and it pre whatever. It's just another form of payments technology. Then you have like, uh, you know, we talked about the QR code. You scan the QR code and you order your food. You're at the, you're at the restaurant and you just get up and go, you know. Right. Back in the day, you still had to go to the cash register. The cash register would have to acknowledge you as a customer, ring everything up and then charge you a fee. Nowadays, you have so much options, so many options. You can literally just go in. You don't have to pay anybody because you get charged automatically. You have uh, the ability to pay with credit card, no contact. Uh, it's a QR code. You have multiple ways you could pay. You use, I, I use my Amex card and say, hey, do you want to pay in US dollars or in Europe? Do you want to pay with, if you use a crypto app, you want to pay with which crypto coin? Uh, this coin, that coin. We don't accept this coin, but we accept that coin. Um, and everything's always moving. I mean, you have to think of it like, um, you know. How are you going to pay? What, what's the best deal? That Let me ask you something, Marcus, not to cut you off, but I am. Uh, how, how many years were you in Brazil? Oh, I've only lived there for 11 months when I went to work for... Um, he was with the seventh richest man in the world. His name was Ike Batista. Wait, you were going to buy a baguette uh, in Brazil, weren't you? Or you were going to the store, not the not store. The and I, yeah, no, this was the this is in the eighties when I was a child. Like my when my parents had their business. Uh, yeah, well, that, you were li were you living in Brazil at that time? No, 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 no. Just I used to go like uh, two to four times a year. Um, oh, I see. And How like, come here? Well, here's my question: How come you're not into soccer? Me. Because I'm with an all that we, Brazilian, we like, we like baseball and football. You know, <laughs> it's all about man, man sports, kind of. So things. the American way of life was imprinted more than the Brazilian way. You know, oh, 100%. Was, I, I was raised in a French school. Yeah, you know, so that's why when I get the French wife, I can move to France easier. What's the French school in uh, Manhattan on the uh, east side? You yeah, had the Lycée Francais, but I didn't go to that one. Uh, Lauren worked there. The Lycée Francais? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, no. I, I, I went to Fleming, which was, uh, it was on 5th Avenue between 62nd. It was on 62nd between 5th Avenue and Park Avenue. So the lower school on 5th Avenue side and the, on the Park Avenue side was the upper school, which now is Ron Perlman's office, which I think he just lost because of his divorce. Oh, well, wait a minute. What, what street was it on? 54th? 62nd. 62nd. Yeah. You know, across, I think across the street from his uh, place, uh, there used to be a French restaurant like uh, Les Biblos. Ah, uh, Biblos. Do, do you remember Le, that? 
Oui, le Ville Bouquet. It was uh, it was on 63rd between Madison and Park. And you'd go there on the weekend. They'd maybe have like 30 seats, 35 seats. And the business was so successful that they eventually like became, they exploded. I mean, they had a place here in Paris. They they have a place. They, they still have a beautiful kid now that just reopened with the same manager who was this mean lady who would call me an idiot because I didn't understand the Yugoslavian war like Kosovo and whatever it was. I was like, I'm sorry, I'm 12. Like there's no, I, I couldn't Google it back then. And then like, um, but they're still like, I think on 61st street, a lot of the, no, they moved. No, they moved. I don't know where they went. They have one, they had one of the meatpacking. They reopened one like five years ago on 61st street. And then there's one here in Paris on the West side of Paris. That was, I'm telling you, that was great food. If Uh, It's a tiny little place, tiny, tiny place. Yeah. Fantastic food. Fantastic. The, uh, talk about inflation, like a uh, price of beer went to like uh, over $10 now. Over this. <laughs> Where at that restaurant? In, yeah. Everything is crazy. It's like uh, ridiculous. When I, when I had a, a meeting in, in the city, I would arrange it so I could have lunch at that place, you know? Oh yeah. And, and one time, one time I was in the city on a weekend and, uh, uh, I went there not to have lunch. I forget why I, I went, went there where I was near there. And it was a rocking place. There were a lot of young, you know, uh, beautiful people, so to speak. Yeah. Like Alessandro, you know, the, that kind of guy, jet setter yeah. type oh, people know. there. And I, it was I, rocking. Yeah. No, because back then in the 90s, you had like the French scene was like hot as hell in New York. They, they dominated everything in the nightlife. I mean, that's when I, I started promoting clubs with this guy named Mark Byron. One of our finders, uh, Guillaume, for example, he has, uh, he even has his Lexus. I mean, he had his Lexus as I moved to Spain. But like, um, we, ha- we, we, we would do like System, O-Bar, uh, a bunch of places everywhere. I mean, back then it was like, you could use no ID. There was no um nothing like today i mean the only place you go in new york that's similar to that is like house of yes over in brooklyn you know it's like and it's the same pricing no inflation here we're still talking about inflation here right the bottle service is 300 in in new york back in the 90s it's 300 when you go to brooklyn the same thing more options to pay because you can use credit card. They accept different forms. They have the QR code, contactless mm-hmm. payments, and all that stuff like that. Like it's a, it's a, it's a different. Uh, it's okay, a different wait now. Line. Now that we're talking about food, I have to tell you my favorite French dessert is the floating island. Yeah. Il How do you say that in French? Il, il floton. I mean, it depends. I mean, if you're also talking about the Italian thing, like the affogato, where you have like the espresso shot, where you put a scoop of uh, coffee ice cream inside. Yeah. Is that what you're talking yeah. about? No, 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 no. It's no, a meringue. Yeah. It's a meringue it's, 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 that floats on yeah. uh, cream. <laughs> yeah. It's, oh, it's God. Fruiton, yeah. yeah. That is a great no, it, dessert. It, 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 it's, uh, it's, a, it's a different thing. What do you... Um, 
you know, so tell me more about uh, how, how things, tell me more about Chatsworth. Give me the background on the whole place. We've been working together for like four years. I know all the success you guys had. I, we built out the presentation that was, uh, uh, you know, talking about the 600 IPOs, uh, the mm-hmm. billions raised and for, mm-hmm. um, you know, for uh, private equity funds and VCs. Well, you, you, uh, you know, we have uh, approximately 30 people. Um, and uh, we've closed deals uh, in a lot of different places and a lot of different businesses. Uh, we're generalists, but we have a focus on uh, asset management. Um, some of the guys are working in that area now on a uh, merger and looking for asset managers, also in rights offerings for closed end funds, big experts on closed end funds. And uh, of course, you head up the other focused area, which is the payment sector. Uh, but the rest of the team, uh, they're generalists. They, you know, in a lot of ways, investment banking, uh, it seems very prestigious and uh, exciting. But when it comes down to it, it's basically process. Uh, getting the deal over the finish line and trying not to make any mistakes and um you know, crossing your T's and dotting your I's. Uh, so uh, the generalists that we have are pretty experienced in getting things done. And that's that's what happens. They get things done. It's like that roadmap we put on the presentation that I put together where you have every step from one to eight. Yes, exactly. Never, never, never skip that's a step. It. That's you don't it. want to skip a step. That's the thing. People think like if you jump, oh, we could do this and they go back. No, never go backwards, right? When you do a deal, it's the most important thing. Follow the rules, never do something in advance, never skip a step. It's kind of like we don't have an engagement yet, right? But we'll introduce you to some investors. Right. <laughs> no, you can't do that. <laughs> you can't do that. You can't do that. You better follow the rules. The steps are very important kind of thing. Like it's it's uh it's a it's a it's a sad part of the business because people think like oh you know those guys are real rich we could we could we could just screw them etc it's not that's not that's not true i mean it's uh because i always explain to people you have lawyers that take you to court or lawyers that do things for you etc because they want to make sure that you don't get screwed it's the same I, and my favorite thing to tell people is that like well oj simpson went to court by himself without johnny cochran you probably get the chair. <laughs> right. The same right. thing with investors, right? If I yeah. start, if I'm the founder of a tech company and I go and say, hey, blah, 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 my tech company, ABC, I need X amount of dollars. You can't go back if you make a mistake. Yeah. But I always tell yeah. people, I misspoke. I didn't know. That's right. the crazy thing. And people don't, it's like the people don't see they don't understand the value, but when we are, when we get involved, like what, like the deal, one of the deals we're closing in October, the the founders uh, here in France now understand why, what we do. And they were shocked because they were getting, for example, one Euro offers. They wanted a two Euro offer. We got them a four, which could become a seven because of the equity. 
Uh-huh. And what what I found that was very difficult to understand is that in the United States, we're super acknowledged. We know the stock market. We know everyone's an expert financier. Everyone knows how to raise capital. They go to VC and all, all those things. What I didn't expect in France was that when you actually go and close a deal and you, you, you people think, okay, I want cash and all these things. In the United States, we have all these crazy structures where we have like, well, you get a part debt, you get part cash, you get part equity. You could have, you know, some kind of vesting period with- the, Yeah, it's like the uh, Chinese menu. Which right? you don't have in, in Europe. You don't have it in most of Asia. You don't have it in Latin America. People are not used to the things that we do. And so like, mm-hmm. you know, since we've established the office here in France, it's been a very powerful tool to tell people. And what's been shocking here is that a lot of we've lost deals to other investment banks, which it's fine. It's the way the world works, but there are deals that we were getting with like, you know, 80 million recurring revenue or crazy companies. They'll go to like our competitors, but they never close the deals because they're not specialized. They are all massive generals. And, you know, we have, we'll obviously go back to them in the next few months, but like, um, especially with, once we close these other deals, the the fact is that like I we you know with our team we really focus on the fact that we we only want to solicit things that we know. If we don't know the deal, we'd rather pass on it or at least yeah. work with you, you with somebody else. Know the deal, yeah, yeah because absolutely. people. The most difficult thing is time is free, but you'll never get it back. And right. In this business, time is everything. Right. Exactly. Right. You, you go. Yeah. Marcus, I was going to say it's now uh, three o'clock <laughs> here. So let's wrap this up and decide whether we want to go on YouTube, folks, or uh, a pod. Uh, okay. So we're going to wrap it up. So that that's it. We're, we're done with the first episode. It's a. Yeah, it yeah we got to get Swatek on. Um, we got to uh, get a lot of people yeah. on. We we have we have that listings company here, the startup that wants to come on. We have a bunch of people uh, from the Let's French get them on. or Let's European get them on. tech startup front. I definitely want Swatek to bring on. But uh, they can't they can't talk about their fundraising. Uh, they, they could talk about their business, but yeah, no, no, they, they, these, no, uh, these nothing guys about aren't fundraising. Money. Good. No, no, no. Okay. We, I don't. I don't want to keep reading Finra compliance laws. Uh, you know, this is just an opinion and whatever it is. That's, like when you hear a Goldman Let's... Sachs uh, podcast. Okay. All right. So offline, we'll talk about YouTube versus podcast. Okay. Okay. Talk soon. Goodbye, everyone. Bye, everyone.